0: Two games tonight in the playoffs. Two teams taking three to two leads. We've got the recaps for you. And two injuries for Oklahoma City that really put the end of their
1: seasons into perspective.
0: And we preview the games tonight. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast covering everything you want to know about the association. On Wednesdays, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast.
1: And I am John Corrales, Reds Army underscore John on Twitter and co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast.
0: Before we recap the night of action in the NBA, two blowout games, but kind of two interesting games as well. Don't forget, when you get in your car in the morning, tell your smart device to play Podcast Locked on NBA, and don't forget to subscribe to the Locked on NBA podcast with the brand new Himalaya podcast app. So let's start and look at the games here. Blowouts on both sides of the uh, of the games here. We had Toronto winning 125-89 to 89. John Kawhi Leonard had a quiet night and they still just straight up rolled Philly.
1: Yeah, there was a stretch in the second quarter where Philly decided to play Greg Monroe and he was a minus seven all in that stretch. The game swung, I think, right in that in that area where Monroe, it, it was kind of funny. Uh, Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, and Pascal Siakam No, wait. No, I'm sorry. It was Serge Ibaka that all got shots at Monroe. And interestingly enough, it was Kawhi that got the worst shot of it all. Uh, Kyle Lowry blew by Monroe and got an and one. Ibaka blew by Monroe. It was uh, Kawhi that settled for a jumper. But that stretch of Monroe on the floor, and then he took a very, very ill advised 3 oh
0: that was hilarious
1: oh my god it was comical but it was a a game that was within reach for Philly but those Greg Monroe minutes just completely swung things into Toronto's favor and once it swung that way Forget it. There was no going back for Toronto.
0: No, you know. It, uh, not for Philly. Yeah, it's it's just it, – this was a weird game because I don't think Philly is this bad. and But then you kind of watch them and it's like, yeah, maybe they are. Like maybe this roster just doesn't work. I mean you're kind of top heavy with their big four. And then things kind of get kind of thin at times for them and when those guys are kind of having off nights there's just no one who can kind of carry them. Joel Embiid has walked into the building with a new ailment probably every game this series and Ben Simmons is just a straight up liability on the court for him at times. This is a guy who is like a walking triple double at times and is only taking five shots when this is a team as a whole who shot under 42% in this game he's got to step up and do more because you can't rely on Joel Embiid to do it Jimmy Butler's Jimmy Butler and maybe You'll get one or two games like that from him where he can lead you to a victory. Tobias Harris isn't quite there yet. And it's just, it, there's just no like kind of guy on the team to kind of take them where they need to be, like it is for Kawhi Leonard on the Toronto Raptors.
1: Yeah, it boils down to regular season versus postseason. Regular season is when teams are doing what they do versus postseason where teams are game planning for what you do. And the, the, the fact is, with Ben Simmons, he is too schemable. Him and Embiid both, but Simmons especially, because he needs to be the guy that takes over down stretches, and he's not. They rely on Jimmy Butler to do that. They're going to need Tobias Harris to do that. And neither of those guys really were given the opportunity to do that In this game, I mean, Tobias Harris was a minus 34 in this game. Uh, It's just not that that was all on him, but just indicative of the run that Toronto went on when he was in the game. And Simmons has to be the guy. And without him having a reliable jumper, without him having the confidence to attack, without him having that mentality to take over... It just is not going to work for the Philadelphia 76ers. He needs to develop that jumper. And so much of what bothers Philly can be fixed if Ben Simmons had a reliable, not even three-point shot. Just just, anything. And he's Just something from like 17 feet. Just pull up from 17 feet and be somewhat of a threat. But he's not. And that's like the regular season Ben Simmons – is a borderline all-star. Sometimes he's an all-star. The postseason Ben Simmons can be so bad sometimes, and this is a bad game. 25 minutes. How do you play Ben Simmons 25 minutes in a crucial playoff game? Because he can't play any more than that. Like, that's a significant problem for the Sixers.
0: Yeah, he, he finished with 7.7 7 rebounds, 4 assists, and 5 turnovers. Joel Embiid, 13 points, 6 rebounds. He had 8 turnovers. Embiid, you can tell, there, there's just a lot going on with him and he's not able to be his usual very efficient and very effective self. And as a team, you saw the 76ers turn the ball over 19 times, 31 points off turnovers for the Toronto Raptors. Basically, just not a good night for them whatsoever. It doesn't help when you shoot just 20 25% from deep. What about Kawhi Leonard in this game, in this series, Man. because he is really good. He had that dunk right before halftime where he kind of just yeah. danced this is what and he's done. This all series, he's getting into the paint at different speeds. He sometimes goes in there super fast and just unstoppable. Other times, he's kind of dancing through that defense at a slower pace and is able to just kind of weave his way through. And it's unbelievable that he has just elevated his game like this. Like we knew he's good. But right now, you're kind of rating him as a top three guy in the NBA based off of what we're seeing. 21 points for him, 13 rebounds, by the way, four assists. And he was kind of out of sorts to start this game. And he was driving, though, and then dishing to open three-point shooters. And it was just a tremendous night for him. And when he gets help from other guys like Kyle Lowry, who had 19 points, Pascal Siakam with 25 points, and Marcus Gasol chips in with very good defense and 11 points, they're really tough to beat.
1: Yeah, I thought the first half actually belonged to Pascal Siakam. Yeah. And, and, and that was, uh, that, that for the Raptors gives them the opportunity for, uh, and, and for any team, when you've got a, a guy who is not the number one player giving you what, what Siakam gave them in the first half, which was 15 points. And, uh, three rebounds, uh, allows other players, the, the star players to pick up the slack later. And so, uh, I thought that Kawhi did enough early to take the pressure off of the other guys and Siakam proved to be the type of player that, um, is deserving of the most improved player award. And, and he, um, he was uh, able to take advantage of the attention paid to Kawhi Leonard, and hitting two of five from from three for Siakam is a big deal. Like you don't expect Siakam to shoot forty percent, but carrying them early so Kawhi can take over later, and the, and in in that Kawhi can lead a blowout in you know later in the game, like that. That's just. Toronto at their best. Yep. It makes up for it makes up for the things like OG Ananobi being lost to his uh, what was it, an apodectomy?
0: Yep, the the emergency it, surgery he had.
1: Yeah, uh, it makes up for Kyle Lowry doing whatever Kyle Lowry does. Uh, also, side note, Danny Green was oh he was huge. tremendous in this game. He was huge. Three of three. From three in the first half, like getting him the um, getting him the ball in chances where he could just get those open catch and shoots like I found myself saying multiple times in this game, I can't believe they got Danny Green too.
0: Like that, He was the throw-in in that trade, which is kind of wild. Right? And when you look at the second quarter when Toronto really kind of grabbed control of this game, the second frame was 37 points for Toronto, 17 for Philly. Not only his shooting was important, but also his defense was. And you saw Toronto just ending possessions for the 76ers through steals. And some of these guys had huge games. What did they have on the night? They had 12 steals on the night. Because it was through that defense. This is a guy who's not only that sharpshooter. But is a tremendous wing defender too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean. Getting him on top of everything. To shoot five of eight. To be a plus 16. It, it's just. That. This is the exact type of performance. That Toronto needs. To advance. And um, it was just it was just a good all around performance. Uh, shout out to Serge Ibaka, by the way, for performing with a giant egg on his head after getting busted open <laughs> early on. Early on. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, he was when when I saw that picture of him looking at his hand with all the blood, I wanted him to touch a volleyball so he can like, create Wilson on the bench <laughs> from Castaway.
0: Yeah, and that's how you know this game was a blowout And when we start talking, exactly, talking about things like that's that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So Neither of these
1: games were yeah, very good. I know. It's
0: like, speaking of blowouts, let's jump to the Portland Trailblazers taking on the Denver Nuggets. 124 to the Nuggets, 98 for the Trailblazers. Just... This one's interesting because Portland looked like one of the better teams in the first round of the playoffs. And then Damian Lillard had the game one in this series with 38 points, kind of carrying that form over. And then Denver has figured out how to play Portland. So I have a lot of thoughts on this one because I kind of saw this firsthand last year when the Pelicans swept the Blazers in the first round. And you kind of see Denver, and they did it a ton in this game, pull from that same playbook to slow down both C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, and that's double-team Damian Lillard, basically the second he crosses the half-court line, pick him up really early, force the ball out of his hands. Don't guard Al Farouk Aminu. Instead, just put Jokic down low to kind of take away drives and play that help defender. And you really kind of just, I don't know, like snuff their offense out, and you saw that a lot in this game.
1: Yep. You're like Farouk Mino can't do much. Oh, it's and, rough. And, yeah, it's it's very bad, and it's especially bad when Jamal Murray is going off like he did. Like Jamal Murray, we talk about the the previous part of this where we talk about uh, Greg Monroe giving up a ton of points. Like Jamal Murray was that version uh, scoring at will for the Nuggets um he was just phenomenal early on and he carried them and, and was able to take a close game just like in the Philly game where it was a close game where they just abused Monroe and and blew it open when they got the ball to Murray they turned a close game into not a close game and then it just became uh just Denver pouring it on pouring so, it on in this yeah, one yeah so Taking advantage of their defensive strategy to take the ball out of Lillard's hands, to take the ball out of C.J. McCollum's hands. McCollum shot five of sixteen in this game. To put the emphasis on Al Farouk Amino, uh, to put the emphasis on like Enes Kanter, to uh, make Seth Curry's life difficult. Like all of those things, just all worked out for the Denver Nuggets. This was the, the a very uh, impressive game for the Nuggets, and, and can I just say that I'm very, very impressed with how the Nuggets have grown from the beginning of the postseason until now, where the Nuggets went from this, the quote unquote, this series is over in the second second game quarter, yeah, of the second game to now where they have grown to a point where they are putting. The Blazers away early, and Jokic and um, Barton and Murray have have found their way. Like all of these things are just coming together for the Nuggets. I'm extraordinarily impressed with how the Nuggets have progressed and grown just through this postseason. Because someone like Murray, Murray's like what twenty two years old, twenty one, someone, whatever he is. Yeah. Like like the youth has. Progressed exponentially already, so I'm I'm just extraordinarily impressed with what Denver has done to this point in the series.
0: No, the the adjustments they've made as the series has gone on, and the new wrinkles they've added into the game plan are tremendous. Like if you watch this game, and his canter was awful, and we forget that he's not a good defender, like, at all. And they're just either throwing him in the pick and roll and letting Jokic just work him, or then you kind of switch, as you were saying, Jamal Murray onto him and let Murray just try and drive and score on him like what's going on in this. Makes me kind of look at that first-round series with Oklahoma City and wonder what the hell they were doing because there is a very clear blueprint on what to do to this Portland Trailblazers team. And for five games in that series – They made Cantor look like an adequate average defender, which is really saying a lot about their offense and how bad it is. Uh, Paul Millsap was also huge in this one. Yes, he was. He abused Cantor down low, 24 points on the night, eight rebounds for him. Just like the crafty veteran just doing what he needed to do. This is a guy that we kind of forget about, and he was tremendous. Yeah, I I thought that. Millsap did
1: a fantastic job. I mean, extraordinarily efficient again for him um, to shoot fifty three percent, two of three from three. Uh, his true shooting is going to be off the charts in this game. This is the type of performance that you need. the um, the the uh, complementary performance to Jokic's. Like Jokic was Jokic, and. Let's just, for a second, I hate to derail this from the Paul Millsap love, but, like, Jokic at 10 of 18 shooting for 25 points and 19 rebounds and 6 assists was amazing. Really good. <laughs> like, I hate to make that a
0: sidebar Thing no but but we're kind of like Used to it from him I remember there I think I forget when it was in the playoffs before Like he had kind of like a quiet 20 and 15 game or something And we didn't really talk about him much because like This is what he does and when their Offense is so good it's because it's Flowing through him and he's not the guy Finishing possession so you kind of forget about Him a little bit but it doesn't work if not For him
1: yeah yeah so Um like Jokic was just amazing in this game, and but to get Millsap to to do what he what what, what he was doing, um, it's hard for the Blazers. Like they they just don't have the size. Without Nurkic, they, there's just no way you can deal with all of that size. And I feel like the Nuggets have finally figured out how to deal with. The, the Blazers and how to take advantage of uh, not having Nurkic and having only um, uh, well, you have like Zach
0: Collins Cantor I'm sorry yeah
1: yeah only only having Cantor to, like they could take advantage of Cantors uh defensive limitations so oh,
0: majorly and then I, I don't know the, the coaching on Portland in this game was a bit odd to me like you had Al Farouk Aminu who's one of eight from the field in this one and played tw- almost 24 minutes how come some of those shots aren't going to Rodney Hoodmore, who's played well in this series and kind of matches up somewhat well off the bench for him he only took eight shots and then you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum combining for 37 attempts only scoring 34 points like they there were some tweaks they probably should have made during the game that you really didn't see from Stotts and I was kind of confused by what's going on a little bit. I don't know. Maybe they just kind of like threw the towel in on this one and were like whatever yeah, we'll we'll, I, we'll deal with it later.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think I don't feel like Rodney Hood was particularly great. Like he had a good shooting night of five of eight, but he was also minus eight on the game. I yeah. feel like he made I feel like he made some mistakes out there. It was on the floor for some of Denver's best moments. Um, I'm not, I I feel like there's a lot of love going on for Rodney hood for George (laughs) Hill after last year's like playoffs a little bit, those two guys. But like, I I don't know. I I feel like like Rodney hood has been good. I'm not going to take that away from him. I feel like he hit some shots, but I don't feel like he was, great in this game um I get what you're saying but I I feel like Rodney Hood was uh, definitely the the minus eight was accurate
0: yeah no that's fair and, I mean look, look Parton got blown out so everyone's gonna have a bad plus minus in this um yeah, I'm, I'm looking right now oh, they had one guy who had a plus two Evan Turner which is kind of rare in 11 minutes <laughs> uh I think that's the only positive guy for him which in a game where I think the biggest lead was 31 to have even someone positive is probably good for you. Evan Turner contributing. Um, I think they kind of looked at this game and were like, whatever we'll, we'll deal with this and just move on to the next one and kind of put this in the rearview mirror. But Denver really looks like they've got Portland figured out. And like you said, they've kind of grown throughout the playoffs, even on a game to game basis. And it's pretty, it's been fun to see this young team that's so well coached kind of get into that. Point. So that's one of the reasons why we had two blowout games, and we move on to now game six in those series. And we're going to move on to the next topic here. But first, again, don't forget when you get in your car in the morning, tell your smart device to play podcast locked on NBA. Playoffs are a lot of fun, but some of the games start late. You're not watching all of it. We are. We're going to tell you everything you need to know. So, again, Tell your smart device to play podcast locked on NBA. So, big news coming out of Oklahoma City. Wode's dropping a bomb on us in this one. And that is, they announced on Tuesday that Paul George underwent rotator cuff surgery to pair, repair a partially torn tendon in his right shoulder. It's going to miss the start of preseason training camp, sources are telling ESPN. That is. Not a good sign, and kind of makes their last series against Portland kind of—I don't know—puts kind of some of the puzzle pieces together. I think on why they struggled so much, huh?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, it felt like Paul George couldn't raise his hand up over his head, um, and a rotator cuff. I mean, man, him playing with a a rotator cuff injury—yeah, like that's just my God, like. First of all, let me just say how impressed I am with his ability to play through that type of injury. A rotator cuff injury is no joke. And he's having surgery today uh, in early May, and he's going to miss the beginning of training camp. So that's May, June, July, August. I mean, that's
0: four Th- those months injuries before are- he
1: goes through
0: before he's even kind of getting back to it, like being yeah. remotely normal, he's also, by the way, having uh, a procedure to t- uh, correct a tear in his labrum of his left shoulder, too. So he's having a bunch of things Man. done. And Russell Westbrook, because there's a ton of injury news here, that's what we had said, is also having a procedure done to repair a torn ligament on a finger in his left hand. So they are kind of it it just makes sense and it shows Oklahoma City who really dipped after the all-star break why maybe some of this is happening look at how dinged up Paul George was and like you said it looked like he couldn't even raise his arms up in the playoffs and he was trying to tell everyone he was fine but this is a guy who very clearly is not if you're having two surgeries done Westbrook's having some work done too it's you know, it's, you've got to wonder if they were just so desperate to get in the playoffs. It, maybe they made things a little bit worse because yeah, these aren't easy things here. No, they're
1: not. And I think, honestly, this puts Oklahoma City in a very weird position with their offseason. Um, Paul George is obviously they just signed him. And this is he's, – he's the centerpiece of what they're trying to do. Westbrook's on that long-term deal. He had that surgery. But if Oklahoma City is going to make a move in the West, they, they have to figure out if, if this is exactly the path that they're going to take. And to have those guys on the injury um, having surgery – It just, I think, delays some of the decisions that they might have to make um, roster-wise where, okay, you've got Paul George, you've got Westbrook, who occupy $80 million of your cap. Is the fact that their injuries limited the... um, Limited how far they would go in the playoffs going to impact what you do with Stephen Adams. Are you going to keep him or are you going to trade him? Yeah, he's, going-
0: he's under contract next season for almost $26 million.
1: Yes, yes. And it's, I think under different circumstances, if you – and this all goes back to the ownership because the owner is really the one who dictates how aggressive you are in the offseason. season. yeah. If, if the owner says, well, look, these guys were hurt. Let's just run it back. Let's just keep going. Okay, that's fine, except you're going to be a tax team again. And Oklahoma City has a reputation for not wanting to pay the tax. And wh- what do you do? What do you do with Schroeder? What do you do with um, Roberson? What do you do with uh, other guys on the day? like Jeremy Grant? Like, What do you do with these guys who are under contract that – maybe if you tie them to uh, Steven Adams, if you tie them, uh, I guess Steven Adams would be the the only guy. Um, How do you move forward with the team's future? I don't think, Jake, that it's a surprise that the rumors with the Lakers would involve Sam Presti. I don't think it's a shock that Sam would want to test the waters somewhere else because they're very much handcuffed
0: in Uh, Oklahoma City. Entirely. And when you watch them, particularly in the playoffs, and again, we know these guys are hurt, but – Paul George couldn't really play effectively, but I don't think Russell Westbrook was really slowed down a ton by any injury that he had. He was just his really inefficient self that was almost in his own head trying to outplay Damian Lillard to the detriment of the team. But they tried to run their offense, too, through Steven Adams a bunch and, again, made Cantor look like a positive defender, which is certainly not the case. So, like you're saying, they're really flawed and it's not like the identity that they have, even in any sort of sense is really good. So I, I get what you're saying. If I'm Sam Presti, I'm probably looking at this being like, I've kind of done what I can. I've, you know, I've kicked this can down the road as far as possible. You're just not turning this team into a title contender. And, you know, like you were saying, this is potentially worse for them that they're going to look at and say, Oh, these guys were injured. Let's just run it all back and try and win and pay the tax. And it's, just feels like it's not going to go anywhere with the pieces that they have. And now everyone's coming back off these significant injuries, at least in Paul George's case. It's a huge concern for what it's going to be going forward. I'd probably try and jump ship. That sounds like a great idea right now.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. I think Oklahoma City is in a big mess. And um, I I don't feel for Sam Presti over there. I mean, this is partly his doing, but I, I feel like you, they made the big commitment to to Westbrook. They made the big commitment to, to Paul George. That, but to pay him, George, to pay Westbrook, and then to have Steven Adams, Schroeder, uh, th- there's a lot of money committed in the upcoming season. I mean, they have guaranteed $138 million under contract for the 2019-20 season.
0: <laughs> their and salary cap sheets are like terrifying bad, to look it's at. It's bad. It's terrible.
1: I mean, and now you have with Paul George coming off two shoulder surgeries. Um, you've got Westbrook coming off a, a, a surgery. I mean, you have those guys. They need to work through their offseason. They need to go through their whatever paces they're going to put themselves through. So, yeah. um, really, what it boils down to is the Thunder. Are going to be good, but not title contenders. And is that worth paying the tax for? Okay, so so our our podcast is going to go way over. I'll just pose this question: that for some cities, that's okay. And I think for the Oklahoma City Thunder, is that okay? That it doesn't matter that they're going through this. That. They don't have to be – like we, you and I, look – and everybody who does this, That this is our job. We look at this in terms of how do you win a championship. It doesn't matter necessarily to every city that we got to win a championship. You just have to have a team that's good enough to make you think that you're close, and that's okay if it doesn't work out okay it's fine move on next thing but
0: yeah it was well the, no because i'm with you on that like you look at the grit and grind era memphis grizzlies exactly. and like, it's a great I, 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 I can't i can't call that a failure like those teams were fun the city rallied behind them they had like an identity that really resonated there by and large for what like seven years that was great like do you really have complaints about that if you're a fan of the grizzlies no. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. I don't no, think you I don't should. Think, and I, don't I, think, think, many I do. think many teams, particularly in a small market, would kill for a situation like that. So is this good for Oklahoma City? And, you know, is it just kind of is what it is? Or just be happy with what you have because, hell, you could be – The Phoenix Suns or any other number of teams, you know, we're not going to go go an episode here without making fun of some of the also rants here in the NBA. So, like, (laughs) you could be one of them and you're not. So be really happy because of that. Like, that's I get what you're saying. And that's worth considering, you know, where are they still a success being in a small market and having the type of, you know, uh, playoff runs that they've had, even when a title just probably wasn't ever that realistic. Still. A good time and I don't think you, you know again if you're a fan like yeah it may you know you kind of just ride it out because bad times are going to come eventually but the good times have hopefully outweighed that I agree yeah so that's the news, the injury updates there from Oklahoma City. We're going to preview the upcoming games tonight. Before we do that, though, don't forget there is a locked-on podcast network covering all the NBA teams, all the NFL teams, and we've got an MLB channel as well. So download the Himalaya Podcast app in an ever-changing podcast world where there's far too much content out there. Himalaya gives you personally curated playlists that give you the content that you want to hear, and you can subscribe to your favorite Locked On show through that. So download the Himalaya Podcast app from whatever your app store is, and subscribe to Locked On NBA, Locked On Celtics, Locked On Pelicans, and your favorite Locked On show. So two games tonight, John. Let's save Boston and Milwaukee for last, you being the Boston guy. Let's touch on (laughs) – because I think you're going to get worked up there. Let's touch on Houston and Golden State, series tied 2-2. My big thing on this – we don't have to spend too much time on this. Is Clay Thompson walking out of Avengers Endgame? If there's ever a thing that signals <laughs> that this Golden State Warriors dynasty is over, it's got to be that disinterest and like, what is wrong with you, Clay? Which probably speaks to the larger issues that Golden State is going through right now.
1: I have no idea what you're even talking about.
0: I do not <laughs> watch those
1: movies. Uh, I think Clay, I think, Clay doesn't either. <laughs> I guess so. So I, I think that the biggest issue is that uh, it's Steph Curry being consistent and it's everybody just kind of being focused. Like the biggest problem for the Warriors is being focused on the task at hand, which they haven't been. I don't think I feel like they think, oh, we're fine. We're still fine. Like they still think they're fine and um, out, outwardly people think like, Oh my God, what's wrong with the warriors? Like I've, I've seen articles, I've listened to podcasts, like what's wrong, wrong with the warriors. And they are like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? What's wrong with us? So I think for them, it's just the focus and, and just putting together a complete game and, and just ending all of this madness surrounding them. It's, it's not, there's no basketball. With the, with the Celtics and the Bucks, there's a million X's and O's. With the Warriors, there's no X's and O's. It's just all in their heads. What can you do to be focused? And if they're focused, they're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, I think for the most part, I'd say my one concern with that is their playoff shooting, particularly from three, hasn't been amazing. We've seen Curry be worse than what he normally is from uh that distance and i think that's a bit of a concern overall and you know it seems like what the houston rockets have always tried to do is maybe like outmath the uh the 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 golden state warriors there we go that's the team that they're playing and they're just going to rip a ton of threes and hope that they make more than the other team the warriors and if they do they're going to feel pretty good in their chances and that's kind of what's how, how it's playing out a little bit, but ultimately the only team that's going to, you know, they're, the only team that's going to stop them is themselves and kind of them just being disinterested or thinking they're finally going to hit that switch. And then they just don't for whatever reason. So for the most part, I think I'm largely with you on this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the worst. Like this is, this is not as close as it looks. Sorry, Houston fans. I just don't think it's as close as it looks. And I think you've got, um hardened doing hardened things, but I just don't I just don't see the entirety of what he can do just being enough. It's just not enough. If, if the Warriors do what they can do, they'll they'll just run away with, with this game.
0: Yeah, and, and we've seen Kevin Durant be the best player on this team and can kind of carry them late in the fourth quarter if they need to, which really helps as well. So your series yeah. And I know you're up in Milwaukee where it's cold right now. How are you oh my feeling God. about game five here? Wisconsin is just a mess
1: right now. Um,
0: I, I, I think it's
1: very on brand for the Celtics. Like everybody who's listening to this national podcast, you're thinking, oh, Celtics are toast and they're going to lose in game five, which is totally understandable. What I'm going to tell you is the script for these Boston Celtics is going to they're going to win game five probably pretty easily if they follow the script for the entire regular season. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what's going to happen, and it could be any number of things. They could lose by 50. They could win by 50, and all of it's perfectly plausible. But the script tells me that they win this game and they win it going away. And then there's some debate about whether game six or game seven is where they lose it. I don't think they win this series, but there's no result that's really going to be surprising for the Celtics. What it boils down to is, can they get past the bad shooting? First of all, can they hit shots and if they can hit shots and not have those bad shooting stretches, then they'll, be, they'll win those games. If they don't hit shots, can they get past those times where they don't hit shots and then slow the game down, find a spot to stop the Bucks runs, and then can they put together a four- or six-point stretch that negates whatever the Bucs are doing? The biggest problem for the Celtics in games three and four is they've given up extended runs by the Bucks, and they have not had an answer. The Celtics need to find an answer. My answer, by the way, happens to be starting Gordon Hayward rather than Jalen Brown. It takes uh, it, it, it really helps Kyrie come off the ball. It helps Gordon Hayward with more touches and it helps the bench with Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, who's now healthy, off the bench, checking uh, Pat Connaughton, checking George Hill. I think it it all makes sense in an adjustment standpoint, so we'll see. But the, the Celtics have not looked great, but at the same time, they've also had big leads in games three and four. They've just blown them, so... I think the Celtics are in a a decent position to win game 5 and then and then who knows what because these these Celtics are very confusing.
0: So can they survive another just off shooting night from Kyrie Irving and is that kind of the key to it or is is it going to kind of go as far as like his efficiency goes?
1: No, Kyrie needs to hit shots. If he if he's off again this this is over. He needs to come out, he needs to hit. He's just be himself. Doesn't he he doesn't even need to be like superstar Kyrie. He just needs to be normal Kyrie. If he can do that, then the Celtics will win. It it really is that simple, because if he's that, then so many other things that are offshoots of that go well for the Boston Celtics. So he just needs to be okay. If he's great, then it's going to be a blowout for the Celtics. But if he's just himself, just a normal Kyrie, then he's fine. If he's not a normal Kyrie then you know we'll do exit
0: exit interviews (laughs) and that'll be the end of it so is it it, so i don't know part of it, what i've seen with him a little bit too is it seems like he's i I don't know if it's just trying to take on too much or like almost be too much of a leader trying to organize them on defense a little bit too and that doesn't seem like he's organizing them properly have you seen that yeah I, i think
1: marcus smart's injury has been a bigger problem than most people want to acknowledge uh With Marcus Smart as a starter, which is what the Celtics have been doing, it allows Kyrie to be off ball, which is why I like Gordon Hayward as a starter because Smart has been uh, pretty good in that role, but coming off of the injury, it just makes more sense to keep him off the bench. So starting Gordon Hayward and moving uh, Jalen Brown to the bench allows Kyrie to play off the ball. And Kyrie off the ball, like it, but the Milwaukee Bucks defense is built to keep the point of attack off the rim. And Kyrie at the point of attack has all five Bucks defenders looking at him. But if Gordon Hayward is starting the offense at the top of the key and Kyrie Irving is starting back by the baseline or on the block, then. Only one Bucks defender is looking at him. The other four are looking at the ball or at their own guy. So you can set a pick for Kyrie and he can come off of that. And then he gets the ball in motion and there's just a different type of defense looking at him rather than him trying to cook a guy, whether it's Eric Bledsoe or George Hill off the dribble, All five defenders in that scenario are looking at him versus him coming off of a pick off of the baseline and catching the ball. Then at that point, only one defender has been looking at at him until he caught the ball. And then once he catches the ball, everybody reacts. And then he can react to that reaction and get himself open. So. I think there is an opportunity for him to be off the ball in that scenario and, and to get a few more open shots. He doesn't have to do it all the time. He just has to do it enough to make the Bucks defense react to that. And I think that could be a difference in the game.
0: Yeah, th- I mean, that makes a lot of sense, and they got to do anything to really get him going because if he has, what, I think he's on pace now for 6 of 22 in, in this game is, is what's coming up next after it's eight, bad. Of 20, it's yeah, bad. 8 of 22, then 7 of yeah. 22. So
1: He was 7 of 22 in the last game, yeah. And wasn't he 8
0: of 22 in the game yeah. before
1: that? Yeah, so and like, he said, I pro- I don't think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna eight to be 8 of 22 in the next game. And he was 7 of 22. 7 of 22. So he's right technically
0: not, not not in a good way right so he's up based for six of 22 is what is what is what you know, i guess projected out to be so something to avoid uh, that will kind of keep him in that and there are your previews for the two big playoff games tonight so that's gonna do it for this edition of locked on nba on wednesdays i'm jake madison host of the locked on pelicans podcast and at nola jake on twitter
1: and I am John Corrales, co-host of the Lockdown On Celtics podcast at Reds Army underscore
0: John on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you all next week.